Welcome, welcome everyone to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. Mm-hmm. I am Beige. And we are in our colors again today. So that means <laughs> that good things have happened. How's it going, AJ? Doing well, brother. Doing well. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on, but you know, dealing with life as it comes, but everything is doing well. How's it on your end? Well, same, same. Life, life is happening. So, you know, we have to just roll the punches as they come. Yeah, and indeed. That, you know, the punches, they stop sooner rather than later. Now, first, this we, thing called so, adulting. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I miss the old days of, you know, not having to worry about much. Right. So first, a little bit of housekeeping. <laughs> as everyone would have realized, we are on at a much earlier time than we have been in well, so far this season. We had made an adjustment because of other life circumstances, but now we're back to a much more comfortable time for you guys, especially those of you who are in the Caribbean, because we know that 10.30 p.m. is a bit late for you. So now we have a brand new time where we start at 8 p.m. of this taping. Um, Unfortunately, when the clocks go back, we will not be able to make the adjustments with them. So then we'll move to 9 p.m. on the eastern, well, in the Atlantic time zone. But we hope that you will continue to be with us as we we make these changes because we're just trying to stay with you guys and give you an opportunity to join us here live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter because we, you know, we have enjoyed interacting with you as our show goes on. So, of course... For those of you who are new to our show, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, like this video, and hit the bell so that you'll know every time that we are on. So, AJ, it is time for another edition of the Green Beach Podcast. And this week, we are looking at a firing and some fights. But before that, we step into the soccer or the football world. And this is where our favorite team, as I said, you can see we are in our colors. AJ is in last season, is it correct, AJ? Yeah, last, last season's away. And yeah. I am in this season's um, and, and I, I actually want to explain uh, what happened, right? And Esau, glad to have you here, bro. I want you to hear this story too. Let me explain why I'm in this just very quickly, right? So I did my last primetime picking video in this season's home kit, right? Mm-hmm. And I was, <laughs> I was me, I was made, I was mocked for having my my jersey buttoned all the way up the, in, in the style that the players do, right? By my own, my, my a, a couple of my best friends and my own wife, Ken, my own wife. I felt like season on the capital steps, boy. Mercy so I was like, you know what? Let me let me don another kit tonight so that they don't they have no reason. Yeah, you saw. <laughs> yeah, you saw. Smugs was part of that, you know. She was part of it. <laughs> so yeah, so as we go off the rip, our Arsenal football club, they played against one of our traditional rivals, that is Liverpool. And in this Jurgen Klopp era, this has been an unhappy fixture for Arsenal with one win. In 12 Premier League matches coming into this weekend. But the Arsenal have started this season brilliantly. 
sitting top of the Premier League after eight matches, having won all their matches but one. Liverpool have had an indifferent start to the season, but were expecting to take three points on another trip to the Emirates. It was not to be. Arsenal scored a first-minute goal, went ahead again right before halftime, and finished with a 3-2 win after a Bukayo Saka penalty. Three goals, three points. Thanks for coming. So, AJ, here's the question. What does this say about Arsenal this season? Dear we dream? Why the heck shouldn't we be able to, Ken? Why should we not be able to? So, in in one of our chats... Earlier this week, um, there was a Liverpool fan that stated that, you oh, know, Arsenal men were scared. And I said, I replied, I wasn't. Because I wasn't scared. I was, well, I wasn't scared of Liverpool. The only thing that I was worrying about was Arsenal potentially playing with that inferiority complex that we'd had in the last few, like, not just few, in the last number of seasons, especially since the Wenger era, right? Where, despite how good uh, we played like, as a unit... Whenever we were to meet a big team, we would just fold and cover under pressure. And like, even if we went up, once they scored, it was like we were scrambling to get back into the game. But that wasn't the case this time. That, that was the only thing I was worried about. And in the first half, it felt like those fears were, were coming true because after we scored, Liverpool settled into the game. But even, even, even so, I was telling myself, you know what, this is actually a, 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 a Liverpool team that's full of talent. It's not very different from the team that was challenging on four fronts last season. So there was always going to be a point in the game where they were going to dominate and have a little bit more possession. All that is well and good. But I was never afraid of Arsenal losing the game. And I'm so happy to see, I'm so happy to see the, the fact that we did not, even though we, uh, uh, they pegged back twice and we, we kind of allowed them back into the game twice, that we didn't, we didn't have that inferiority complex, basically. And we didn't feel like, you know what, well, this is Liverpool, so we can't. And the players just, like, went into their shell. Ah, it was none of that. It was none of that. It was, it was straight domination for 45 minutes in that second half. I cannot recall if Liverpool did anything to, to test Ramsdale. And by the end of the game, we fully deserved the win. Like, regardless of whatever calls like, people may have an issue with at the end of the game, Arsenal would deserve the winners. I love to see it, and I will dream. Not, not, not in a very expansive sense. I, I, I tend to be more of a realist, but at this point, I, I'm letting my imagination carry me as far as it can. Okay, fair enough. Now, like you, I believe it can't hurt to dream. But even before I started the season, and yes, we are still top of the table, it feels really good to say we're top of the table and it's not just alphabetical, you know? It's, we've <laughs> actually won some games and we have looked very good so far this season. But at this point, if we're being honest, Arsenal's still not title favourites, even though we're mm-hmm. first. Yeah, of course. Because so. there's still City and there's still that boy Erling Haaland who the only reason that he does not score is that he does not play. He didn't play today, so therefore no goal scored. But what we That's why seen... City took so long to score. Okay. Because I, yeah, I was checking their score and I was like, why are they like still scoreless at, at like 30 minutes in? Okay. Yeah. and I mean, what also worked against them today was the fact that um, they got a man sent off in the first half. Mm-hmm. So from that point then... 
I'm sure Pep would have decided, well, you know, whatever we can take out of this game, we'll take, but it doesn't really matter because we're still going to qualify first out of this group anyway. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have to, to put Haaland in and then therefore, you know, shorten anywhere else on his team. But the fact okay. still remains that Arsenal so far this season, as you have so eloquently said, they look and feel a different team compared to what we have seen pretty much every season since Wenger left. And even some of those Wenger seasons because, you know, oh, yeah. in his latter years before he, he um, was pushed out, if we are being, you know, fair to the gentleman, <laughs> we did not compete in a lot of those a lot of those games. So as a result, if we had not been competing then, and now we see how we are competing, especially, I mean, this was a Liverpool team that came in struggling with injuries and poor form, so it was a great time to play them. We will see what happens when we go up against City, because I think that is going to be the biggest marker of our season. Right now, our squad is still thin in a couple of areas, like centre-forward, because if, um, what's his name, Gabriel Jesus goes down at all, and then we have to depend on Eddie and Katia. That is going to be a bit of a challenge. We have to continue to get goals from everywhere else, other than just depending on him. And Thomas Partey had a fantastic game in the center, mm -hmm. but if he is out, and you know he has the propensity to pick up some knots, not to mention that he still has you know a court case hanging over his mm -hmm. head, we we will still need to to do some more when January comes to help bolster our team. No, Esau, he has asked a question as we're on the topic of City. If we think Haaland really is the truth, overrated, underrated, or spot on. So I'll give you first crack at that one. All right. Esau, listen and listen to me carefully, right? It, every, everything that people are saying about Haaland now is spot on. But I will say Haaland was underrated up until this season, right? The reason I'll say so is because He's getting a lot more visibility now being in the Premier League, but this man is doing the same thing he was doing in the Premier League, just with a much better team to provide him more chances. People, people, people honestly don't understand. People don't understand how good this man actually is. And it's, it, it's now that you're seeing the, 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 the fact that he doesn't need to be uh, in the game for an, an, an entire 90 minutes. He doesn't, this man needs three touches, not, not, just, not just even to, to get a shot. This man needs like three touches a game to score. I, I can't remember the last natural goal scorer I felt this strongly about since, from, this is for me personally, since R9. Since R9. This man is a, Haaland is a natural goal scorer, Esau. He is a natural goal scorer who, in addition to that, can play football really well because his movement is excellent. He can pass the ball. This, he, this man has an eye. He has an eye for the game. But in addition to all of that, this man is a goal scorer, bro. He is a goal scorer. This, that's what he does. If, if you're playing at, it's, it's at this point, if you are playing against City, bro, finishes anything. If you're playing against City, you already come in with a minus one. Uh, 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 yeah, you, you don't want. And I would say they're like down two. Because Haaland is going to get enough opportunities per game that he will score at least two chances that this city team can lay on a platter for him. And even so, like, the man scores half chances. I, I still think, in a sense, that Haaland is underrated. People don't understand how great this man of goal scorer he is. And I know, like, up until last season, before City, 
before his move to City, there was this conversation about Haaland or Mbappe. I, I, they're both very good footballers. Like, on, uh, if you already want to call him world class, whatever, whatever you define world class as, either way, they're on the brink of being that. But Haaland is a different breed when it comes to scoring goals. Mbappe is a very good goal scorer. Haaland is a natural, exceptional goal scorer. So yeah, so AJ, everything you said, I I don't really have a lot to to add about that because Holland Holland right now is only injury that stops this man from breaking records. And and, and like and I tweeted, sorry, I didn't mean to, I don't mean to cut you, but and, and it's, it's it's because you mentioned injury. But let me just say, right, bear in mind, this man is not going to the World Cup, you know, so he has this time to rest. Yep. Norway have two friendlies in that time, and. and I'm pretty sure he'll play and probably won't even play a full 90 minutes, but this man is going to rest for the second half of the, of the season. Continue. Yeah, so when you look at Haaland, Haaland is a physical freak of nature with the ability to do what he does. You do not normally... I mean, for those of us who play FIFA, who play um, NBA 2K... You know that you usually end up sacrificing certain things once you try to get certain other things. So if you try to make a player who is tall, for example, he usually ends up being slow because you're never able to make a LeBron James, for example, who is a tank and also a tank with NOS in his tank. <laughs> so when you look at Haaland, Haaland is able to run at paces that should not be allowed for someone of his height and be able to finish while moving at top speed. He is, because of his height, he has the natural heading ability, which he is able to to do very effectively. (laughs) He is also able to get his feet up in places where his feet should not be allowed as a man as tall as he is. Haaland is the quintessential striker of this generation. And yes, while we may be feeling good looking as a, a Kylian Mbappe, as you mentioned, H, and I know that's the topic for, for another day. We'll be able to mm-hmm. get into the whole Mbappe Haaland thing. What Haaland is doing right now should put the fear of God in everybody's hearts. And, and sorry, let me just add one more thing. I don't want anyone to misconstrue my statements when it comes to um, him being the most natural I've, uh, or, uh, that I've felt so strongly about since R9. Because obviously there's Messi and Ronaldo inside there, right? However, Ronaldo developed as a goal scorer. Ronaldo was not a natural goal scorer when he broke into the game of football. We all know that, right? True. He developed through a lot of hard work, which is why I noticed my words were that he's natural. Messi, obviously, is a natural goal scorer as well, but Messi has a lot more to his game. Haaland, primarily as a striker, is a phenomenon as a a goal scorer. That's all I meant. Like, he's naturally made to score goals. All right. So, now that we've we've gone onto the football pitch for the first time in the world, shout out to... Justin of This Just In, hashtag This Just In, glad to have you with us as well. We are moving now to the hardwood floor. And we are going to the San Francisco Bay and the Golden State Warriors, who last week 
had to deal with a fight on their practice floor. Now, unlike the NFL, who like doing joint practices, and by now you know just how I feel about those, <laughs> the NBA doesn't involve itself in that nonsense. So anytime you hear fighting at practice, it is between 10 teammates. And that is what we had this week with 10-year vet, three-time All-Star Draymond Green and third-year player Jordan Poole. TMZ somehow obtained a video showing Green walking up on Poole chest to chest, who shoved him off only to get laid out with a strong right hand. Since then, the Warriors announced that Green would be punished internally, but we have not heard what that punishment will entail, as they will keep it in-house. Green himself has publicly expressed remorse and contrition for his actions and that he will take some time away from the team as they will need time to heal and he will give them the opportunity to do that and also for Poole to recover from what happened and that he, Draymond, will seek reconciliation. He admitted that he let himself down as a man and he let the team down as a leader. So AJ, what do you make of all this? And where does the Warriors and Draymond go from here? Draymond is capping so hard. This is all cap. That's what it is. He's taking time away from the team. You see all these PR written statements? I ain't here for it. I'm not here for it. So it took him a couple days after we heard reports, the entire world heard reports, and then the video got leaked. It took him until all of this to come back with an apology. Draymond ain't sorry. This is what he does. He's a, he's a, a repeat offender in this case. He's a habitual line stepper. That's what he does. This man is always at some teammate doing something. And this time he went as far as, as, as punching a man in his face. His teammate punching him in his face after he initiated the, the, the physical contact. You can tell me that this man is think. Or, or, or rather, you, you, you honestly believe that Draymond is think things through? If, if you run upon somebody in their personal space, would you, would you not have the, 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 the wherewithal to think that the first thing that they would want to do is push you off? He expected that what? Poole would just walk away? So, so it, it, it would only take Poole walking away for, for Draymond to, to not react by, by trying to, to punch a man? Hi, I'm bro. Draymond Green is a bully. That's, that's as simple as it is. He's a bully. And I'm not buying this garbage that he's taking time away from the team. The team is sending him away. There's no way that Draymond, in, in, in the kind of light in which he thinks about himself, made the decision to step away from the team. The team sent him away, but the statement has to be that he's doing it. You know, this is all a part of of his um, redemption and, and like coming back. And, uh, you know, feeling sorry and all that kind of crap. Where they should go from here, where they should go from here is say, look, Draymond, we've had enough. We've had enough of you. This, we, we can't continue to, to have you in, in a team where you're always doing something to offend another teammate. I mean, last time it was KD. I mean, he didn't do anything physical to KD as far as we know, but still, like, said some stuff that he shouldn't necessarily be saying to a teammate. You know? Draymond is just like the, the fellow like, at, all right, well, yeah, well, we could be cool outside of here, but if you come to my hood now, well, I, you know, I need to, I need to, to put you in a place. Like, bro, these are your teammates, bro. 
the Warriors should be telling him, listen, Draymond, at the end of your contract, we're going to move on. We're going to move in a different direction. We wish you all the best. We had a very good time together, but we can't continue doing this because Draymond is not going to learn. He's not going to learn. The thing is, that's what I think they should do. Will, will they actually do that? I highly doubt it because the Warriors themselves seem like coddlers. And all that's going to happen is time will pass and they will try to, to have these guys reconcile and both of them will be back in the team. We know that Jordan Poole actually wants to be here. He hasn't like uh, um, handed in a, a, a trade request or anything because of it, but he wants to get paid and he most likely will by this organization. And then they're going to try to make this work and then try to sweep it under the rug as, as, as is customary. But Draymond should be finding a new home in Sacramento or something. So, Wow. Tell us how you feel. Why don't you, AJ? Sacramento. Mercy <laughs> and grace. <laughs> no, I don't I don't feel as strongly as you do where this situation is concerned, nor do I feel as strongly as you do where Draymond is concerned. Now, for those of you who, who know how my sports fandom goes, Steph Curry has um taken up the mantle of my favorite player in the NBA after the retirement of um, one Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. And as a result, I have some investment in what happens with the Warriors because I want my guy to succeed. I want my guy to be able to look back on his career with, and nobody have anything negative to say with regards to him, which he was able to put right by winning the NBA Finals MVP this past season. For this particular situation, it's unfortunate that the video got up. Because even though we wanted to know what happened, this was an extremely bad look for the Warriors and for Draymond. The Warriors have not been covering themselves in any glory recently, especially when it comes to security of any kind. Because the fake Clay Thompson was able to get all the way onto the court and be warming up with the Warriors when Clay Thompson was actually on the floor warming up with the Warriors. So it doesn't seem as if they run a very buttoned up ship over there. But that being said, we still don't know what exactly happened in this situation to spark this dust up. Reports are wild and varied from triple single to the greatest ever pool party, but the video is pretty damning against Draymond as he was clearly the aggressor. As you said, AJ, he walked up onto pool and then because pool shoved him off, then he retaliates with a straight right that lays him out on the ground. No, it is rumored that Draymond's contract situation is part of this issue as he believes and he has been very vocal as is his way that he has earned the supermax and that the team also is well the team has been rumored whereas Draymond has been direct the team is rumored not to be planning to give him said supermax it is also rumored that they will give Poole whatever he wants to keep him in golden state and they are intending that he will farm form part of the future core with Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody, and James Wiseman as the Warriors are going to start to plan life without Steph, without Clay, and without Draymond. 
many believe that this could be the end of Draymond in Golden State. And there was a report I saw on Bleacher Report which said that if he is going to be let go, released by the Warriors at the end of this contract, that he wants to go over to LA and the Lakers to play with LeBron. I mean, that should be no surprise to anyone. I don't see the Warriors trading Draymond this season. Yeah. I believe that they're going to play out the season and whatever happens, happens. But at the end of this, is given the ownership group, um, Joe Lacob and those gentlemen, enough leverage now with Steph to be able to say, we are not bringing him back and this is why. Because there were also talks of how even though they didn't want to give Draymond the max, Steph saw he, Clay, and Draymond as a package deal. So if they weren't going to give Draymond the max to, to get him to stay, then chances are Steph himself might be looking to leave as well. But no, that leverage kind of goes away when you're out here punching young teammates in the face. How chivalrous. Uh, you know, I like I said, I I believe that that's what should happen. And, and I agree. I don't know if I had made that clear, but I do agree. I don't see them trading him. I I, I think he would be allowed to play until the end of his contract. And I, I, I in my rant uh, just now, I forgot to mention as well, the fact that this video actually got out. Now, you mentioned the Warriors' lack of like faulty security, right? But I really, part of me really believes that they were the ones that allowed this to leak so that they could have that leverage that you're speaking of. Well, they, they exist down in Silicon Valley. These are some extremely smart men. And they know that right now the salary cap is hanging them. Draymond Green, for what he does with the Warriors, he may be worth a max contract for the Warriors, but nobody else is going to give that to him. Mm-hmm. And know that he has surrendered all of his leverage and goodwill, he's not going to get that there either. So and anything is possible when it comes to the leaking of information because we have known or we have learned that you don't necessarily trust these big corporations when it comes to things getting out like this. All right, so from the hardwood to the gridiron. This is what we normally talk about here on the Green Beige Podcast. So this week, you'll have to forgive us for not going through our usual four-down territory because, as you can see, there's much to discuss. So to quickly recap, the NFL Week 5 went like this. The Colts beat the Broncos 12-9 in overtime when the fans could not even take the fact that the game went to overtime and left. So the, um, the Colts, they won that game. The Giants beat the Packers in England 27-22. The Patriots blanked the, up until that point, best offense in the league, Lions, 29-0. The Chargers beat the Browns 30-28. The Texans beat the Jaguars 13-6. The Buccaneers, they won their game against the Falcons 21-15. The Steelers, well, they got shellacked by the Bills 38-3. The Jets beat the Dolphins 40-17. to The Vikings, they won their game against the Bears 29-22. The Commanders fell to the Titans 21-17. The Saints, <sighs> the Saints held on to beat the Seahawks 39-32. <laughs> 
The 49ers stomped the Panthers 37-15. The Eagles are still unbeaten 20-17 over the Cardinals. The Cowboys, well, they manhandled the Rams at the Rams 22-10. The Ravens, they won their game Sunday Night Football 19-17 over the Bengals and the Chiefs. The Chiefs found a way to... <laughs> yes, they found a way to win this game against the Raiders 32-29. Now, while we are going to touch on some of the talking points coming out of the games, we're going to start with the game last night, Monday Night Football, with the Chiefs and the Raiders. Now, to be honest, I didn't see the game. But a lot of the buzz after the game and into today centered around all-pro wide receiver Devontae Adams, who was caught on video pushing down a photographer or a videographer, some, something. He, he was holding some sort of equipment. And Devontae Adams pushed him down as he was leaving the field. This um, individual, he was not looking at Adams, but happened in his orbit and got a nice shove for his troubles. Adams has since apologized for the altercation, saying, I want to apologize to the guy. There was some guy running off the field and he ran, like jumped in front of me coming off the field and I bumped into him, kind of pushed him and he ended up on the ground, Adams said at his locker. So I wanted to say sorry to him for that because th that was just frustration mixed with him literally just running in front of me. I should have responded. I shouldn't have responded that way, but that's how I initially responded. So I want to apologize to him for that. The man, who was a freelancer working for ESPN's Monday Night Football, filed a report to the Kansas City Police, who said they would investigate the incident. The man was transported to a hospital, according to police, and was treated for injuries that preliminarily thought to be non-life-threatening. So, AJT is your guy. So, what do you make of all of this? One of the reasons why I like Devontae Adams is not just because of his exceptional skill set on the field, but it's because like he's always been like a, a very humble and contrite sort of individual, right? He's he's not really a troublemaker. You don't hear about him having issues with his personal life. You don't hear about issues off the field. As such, I do feel a, a completely different in this situation, in his situation, than I did I, with the aforementioned Draymond, right? Like I said, Draymond was a repeat offender. Tay is not. He did make a mistake. He did make a mistake. It was a very big mistake. And as such, he should be fine. I still believe to me that the one-game suspension seemed to be a lot. But in, in taking into consideration something that was said earlier, it, if, if, it, if this situation had occurred on the flip side, like if it was a, a fan doing that to a player, the fan probably would have been banned. So... Um, I guess I have to take that into consideration. So if he does get that one game ban, I mean, I, I won't necessarily say it's egregious, although I still think it's harsh. The thing about this is, and I can hark back to, to some of the things I mentioned about Draymond. One thing about this is, Devante knew that he was wrong. He immediately, he actually apologized in the, you know, when the reporters are in the locker room talking to the players like right after the game. He apologized then. He even, and then he still sent out a tweet afterwards apologizing a further time. And, and, and I honestly don't believe that this was just because um, he knew it was, oh, well, in, like the, the PR uh, um, crap storm that may have followed him afterwards, but because he was genuinely sorry for what he did. 
he he was frustrated after the game and and if you saw the cameras on him at the like right at the end of the, uh, when the clock hit triple zeros, he like he slammed his helmet into the ground. You could tell he was frustrated. That was a really stupid play to end the game. So to lose a game like that, obviously there would be frustration. <laughs> I I, I Devante should be fine. He should be fine for sure. You can't go about pushing people like that, frustrated or not. Uh, as as the the freelance reporter. He's doing what any individual would do who has been physically assaulted by any celeb or pro athlete. He's going to milk it and try to get paid. You know what? On some level, I can't blame the guy. It's, it's, it's how the world works right now, right? Um, I, I'm not going to talk about the whole injuries thing, but he's doing what he has to do. Uh, uh, there was also a small part of me that believed that that uh, that found it hard to believe, rather, that he did not see the players exiting the field and that he just happened, happened into the path of, of Tay and um, the other corner who had got called, whatever he was, that gotten called the call on, on the, um, the field goal player. I, either way, either way, I'm not going to defend Tay's actions. All, all I will say is that I do believe that he is sorry, but whatever the the fine uh, or suspension is whatever the, the judgment that is passed down in his case whatever ruling or punishment he receives i hope it's to the minimum because he's not that kind of guy as a first timer I, I if it has to happen it has to happen to set an example but i i hope they don't try to penalize this guy to the full extent so i will agree with you on one point which is that Devante Adams is not a habitual offender of any sort. Um, he he plays a clean game. He can be physical if he needs to be. He tends to use other means to get himself free where he does not have to physically engage with the corner in front of him because as there was a brilliant ESPN article written about him where he said that that's just wasting time in a lot of cases. The time that he's fighting to get off of a jam is time that he could be getting into his route and making sure that the timing with the quarterback is there. But I believe that Devante should get suspended for this. Again, just one game. As well as a fine. Now, you made mention of him slamming the helmet. And, I mean... There's a slamming of a helmet, and then there's what Devontae Adams did with his helmet. Because I must applaud the helmet makers. Those things are actually <laughs> very well made. That yeah. helmet should yeah. have cracked in half <laughs> with the amount of force that he threw that thing to the ground. Yeah, because he so, went low with it too, you know. He went real low with it too. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> I'm, and I'm sure that helmet bounced away. Like somebody caught it on the hop. When he's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> to the ground. And we, like, we don't know what the exact play design is, but if you and Hunter Renfro are colliding 30 yards down the field, clearly something went wrong there. Somebody was not where they were supposed to be. So mm-hmm. I, I get his, his frustration. Things have not gone the way he's hoped that they would go heading to the Raiders to play with his you know, his BFF. 
I get it. I get it. But while the game is no finished and your job is done, other people are still working. And this guy, be it a microphone, be it camera, be it whatever he had in his hand. I saw he had what to me looked like a boom mic in his hands when he got pushed over. The guy was just going about his way. And he wasn't trying to interact with Devante. He was just headed wherever he was going. And while Devante would have had the right to his space, the guy also had right to his own personal space as well. And the fact was there was no there was no attempt at interaction with the gentleman. It's not like when Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo knocked the phone out of the child's hand because they were trying to take portals or video of him after United had just got him beat. No, the guy was just going along his way when this interaction occurred. Now, as you made mention of, you know, the guy going to, you know, to the hospital, he's fighting a police report and stuff, that should surprise no one because, as you said, this is standing, standard operating procedure for any injury claim with the expectation of a substantial payout. I am confident that this this case will not make it to trial because they will cut a check, all charges will be dropped, and they will both go on with their lives. Alright, so, today, AJ, as of yesterday, one NFL fan base is singing Oh Happy Day in chorus like this is Sister Act. Which fan base? The Carolina Panthers. And no, it's not because they won, because apparently they only do that against the Saints this season. No, they lost this weekend, and head coach Matt Rule has been given his walking papers. Rule had a record of 11-27 and 27 over the two-plus seasons he was in charge of the Panthers, which gives you a winning percentage of 28%, and started each season with a different starting quarterback. He bought the trade for Sam Darnold last season. He bought the trade for Baker Mayfield this season. In two seasons, he's had five wins each. And the owner, David Tepper, decided he had had enough and fired Rule on Monday. At this time, they've announced that Steve Wilkes is the interim head coach, stepping up from his duties as the secondary coach. So what else can we expect in this situation? From the Panthers, from the Panthers. I mean, well, first of all, it's about damn time. Maru should have been gone for a while now, but I mean, Tepper came out afterwards and made a comment saying that they need to like reestablish a culture at, at the Panthers organization. And, and he's absolutely correct, but I mean, are you know, seeing this, like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. Uh, I mean, we need to call into question Matt Rules. Matt Rules, like, scolding of quarterbacks as well, though. If this man was really for getting Sam Darnold and then Baker Mayfield. Um, but anyhow, I mean, you're what we could... Ex- <laughs> hey, let's not do that right now. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I don't even know why. I don't even know why I didn't see that coming. I should have. I should have, though. <laughs> Blindsided, I was blindsided. Wow. Um, just threw me off. <laughs> but 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 it 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 has to be a new dawn. Um 
last time Steve Wilkes was a head coach, he didn't last too long. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes as well. But I think Carolina go full rebuild at this point. Um, I actually would not be surprised if you see them like shutting down, shutting down some players like very early in the season, including McCaffrey, if if they even decide to, to keep him and um, not not to move him on. Uh, but the, the organization has to, they have to hit reset at this point. They have to hit reset because, I mean, short of, of I mean, there, there, there are not many quarterbacks available at this point that, that you can turn into a franchise quarterback, rather. You know what I mean? So I guess the only way is, is, is to look forward to this draft. And I don't think it's supposed to be like extremely heavy with talent, but either way, I think that's the direction that they have to go. Um, if not from this season, at least for next season. I, I'm At this point in time, I, I can't say I recall what their draft capital looks like for 2023, but I feel like they had been stockpiling a few of them, if I can recall correctly. But it's, it's, it's a full reset. It's a full reset. The, the most interesting thing for me now is what happens with Christian McCaffrey. Like, do they keep him on as a part of this reset and, and make him... Uh, he was already supposed to be like a linchpin, but do they continue along that line or press reset on everything and and, and move forward? I, I the Panthers is so volatile as an organization to predict. I I can wait and ask Poole, man, because I have no idea. Okay, understood, sir. So when I look at this situation, of course, it gives me a lot of joy to see a team in my division completely imploding and that should make no one that should surprise no one because i've already said that i held absolutely no love in my heart for carolina so i would have been happy if they kept rule all season long but i don't think it's really going to affect their position for the coming draft because their roster their team is actually not that good the defense is not bad the offense is abysmal and that also goes along with the quarterback so rule himself he'll be fine because he has 40 million dollars that are still owed to him on his contract and we've seen reports that say that he will get the full 40 million dollars but it has some offsets built in wherein if he should get another job Whoever hires him, the value of the contract that he is going to receive will then be subtracted from the remainder Carolina owes him. So, for example, if he were to go get a college coaching job, which gave him $20 million over the length of time that this contract was supposed to, to go for, then the college will pay him 20 Carolina will pay him 20 and the other $20 million will just be a wash. Now, good for Wilkes. Because, you know, we did talk about Wilkes a little bit at one point. Um, it's good that he's getting another opportunity to show his mettle as a head coach after being dumped by Arizona for Cliff Kingsbury, who himself could find his seat moving from hot to scorching, know that, you know, a coach has already been fired. And let me just stick up in here. This is, this is a thought that just came to mind. It's unfortunate, though, that Wilkes is going to get the opportunity in Carolina, which is a dumpster fire, similar to what happened with Lovey Smith, who got the opportunity in Houston, which is another dumpster fire. 
Unfortunately, it seems as if the African-American coaches, they get the jobs that really stink and then they get an opportunity to try to make it better. And then after they've made it better, then chances are they'll be out and somebody that does not look like them will get the opportunity to then take a rebuilt franchise forward. But that's just an aside. Now, in terms of what happens now with the roster, AJ, you're absolutely correct when you talk about Christian McCaffrey, he being the biggest asset that Carolina still have. There was thought in the <laughs> offseason that Buffalo are, were considering to trade for McCaffrey, but nothing happened. And now there's speculation that they may be revisiting. Right. But both Carolina and Buffalo have said that they have not had any talks. But this is the same Panthers team that also said they did not have any talks with um, Cleveland when they ended up trading for Baker Mayfield. And then in came Baker Mayfield anyway. So we'll see how this goes. Well, anyhow, that is it for my topics. And now it is over to you with overreacting much. All right, so once again, it's time to channel our inner Gen Z and ask the question, overreacting much. So let's start here. The Seahawks lost, surprise, surprise. But once again, Geno Smith was the bright spark in an otherwise predictable loss. Completed 16 of 25 attempts with 268 yards and three tubs, no picks. So Geno's been impressing this season. So do you think it's an overreaction, the narrative that after five games, that he is a starter from next season forward so i do not believe that this is an overreaction geno smith has been plenty unfortunate in his nfl career thus far he had an inauspicious start to his career with the jets before he got his jaw broken by ike and kapali over a 1200 plane ticket in the preseason and then after being out six to ten weeks, he was consigned to the bench as Fitz Magic was making things happen in the Big Apple, leading them to a 10-6 record. He was a backup from then until this season before getting a chance to compete for the starting quarterback job in Seattle. But if we go back to last season, he had been impressive in relief work for Russell Wilson, having his then highest QBR for his career starting three games and throwing five touchdowns to one interception. This season, Hicks QBR is <clears throat> the best in the league at 113.2, with Patrick Mahomes second at 110.5. Gino has put in some hard yards, and he has earned the right to start in the NFL once he can keep this up. I think you're you're muted there, fellow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. So um, I'm going to go the opposite direction here. I'm going to say that the suggestion that Geno Smith will be a starter going forward is a slight overreaction to me. Just a slight one. And, and, and I'm not saying that he hasn't played well enough, and you just mentioned it. Uh, and by some metric, like he's, he has earned a shot, right? He has earned it. But... I feel like we've seen this kind of fairy tale happen before. Like, can I offer anyone a Heineke? Uh, like, Gino's been great. Take nothing away from him, but he'll be 33 next season. Um, 
I feel like there are younger QBs that are stuck kind of like in the same situation as him, right? Where, you know, like still trying to to earn their way or prove that they're a starter. And, and, and they will probably be as cheap under younger models. And there also be, like I, I just mentioned, there will be a few prospects coming in in the 2023 draft. Uh, and let me make it clear, right? Like I, I think that Gino might be a starter, but I can't say it's a foregone conclusion at this point. So I think that saying he will be a starter is, is an overreaction. Thank you. The only, thing, yeah. <laughs> the only yeah. thing that makes me um, consider that Gino may have the inside track to be a starter next season, like I pointed out his QBR just now. His QBR through week five is the highest in the league. Being out the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and the list goes on. The the second thing is the Seahawks were not expected to be good this season. The Seahawks were supposed to be finishing with a top three pick. Gino actually has them two and three in the division that right now nobody's really been covering themselves in any significant glory. So the Seahawks could actually find themselves with more wins than they should and then not be in a position to draft a quarterback. And the fact is that Gino has played his best football of his career in Seattle. So if nowhere else, I believe Seattle mm -hmm. is going to give him that chance next season. That's fair. That's fair. I, it, it could happen. I'm just saying I, I, I feel like it's 50-50 and I... I just believe that that the, the deck is stacked against him. But let me you wanna you wanna reply to that comment before before I move on. <laughs> hey, welcome Kirk. Glad that you could join us. Um yeah, we didn't set you up. Um that we have that you you come here and found us with our Arsenal shirts on. After a big win like this, of course we will we will be out in our colors. It's just I, no no hard feelings, Kirky man. No hard feelings, bro. Not at all. Anyhow, let me so let me get to let me continue here. So week five started on Thursday night with a display of the worst football I've ever seen from two teams playing at the same time. <laughs> it, it that that was an utterly atrocious game, and as I said, I expected it to be extremely boring in, in my um, prime time pickup. A huge part of that terrible showing was Ciara's bow, Dangerous. Now, Russ looked completely out of tune with his receivers and in the end seemed completely zoned out instead of finding KJ Hamler in the end zone. So, Ken, has your local signal caller Russ completely lost his mojo or is that an overreaction? So, this one gives me absolutely no joy. Because it is very frustrating. I can feel the frustration on the street here. Mm. But to the question, is Russ cooked? That is an overreaction. Now, to be clear, Russ has been awful to start his tenure here in Denver. Absolutely awful. But let's put it into perspective. He didn't play in preseason. So his first game was against the Seahawks. He's on a new team with new players, a new coach, and that is too much newness without having the reps 
to try to take some of the shine off the ball. You know, to use a cricket um, analogy. So now we add to that, he had or has a torn lat muscle in his throwing shoulder. Over time, we can expect him to get better and have better report, rapport with his receivers as they go further into the season. Proved, provided, sorry, that his shoulder doesn't get worse. But like I said, he has had a small procedure to help with the recovery and the healing. I am sure that Russ and the Broncos will be fine. Maybe not fine to make the playoffs this season, but I believe that they will be fine. All right. I'm actually like in agreement with you here. I, I think to say that he's cooked is an overreaction, a slight overreaction. No, no, it's an overreaction. It's an overreaction. I, I, I do believe that there is cause for concern here, though. And, and honestly, I, to me, it feels like Russ has lost a little bit of that mojo. I'll explain why. It, it, it doesn't feel like he has the same dynamism. And you mentioned a lot of very uh, um, integral points, like him not having the preseason and, and like it's a new system, a lot of newness around him. I, I take all that into consideration. But I think it's just more than him having to develop a rapport with these receivers, right? Let me share one stat with, with, with you, which I think is a relevant one. Did you know that in 2021, Russ had zero fourth quarter comebacks and a single game-winning drive? Like one. And, and, and I want to hear that that's down to everyone on the team being a, a bad except him and all that. Like, he, has, he gets paid to do exactly this sort of thing. He gets paid to do that, not to be an, an average Joe quarterback. No, no, and not to mention, this is last season as well. He had a 64.8 completion percentage, Ken. 64.8. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy G, the aforementioned Taylor Heineke, and Davis Mills all had um, better completion percentages last season than Russ did. Russ has been and is continuing to be paid to be an X factor, and he's not doing it. As of now, right, there are like 10 quarterbacks in the league that I take ahead of Russ, and that's not good enough for the second highest paid quarterback in the league. But, but, I'm even with all this, I'm still saying it's an overreaction because Russ is going, I, I still believe that Russ is going to get better. He cannot possibly get worse. <sighs> but, okay, I hear, the, I hear your stats. I hear your numbers. And... When you make mention of guys like Jimmy G, we know Jimmy G likes to pass the ball as far as his shadow stretches on the field. He doesn't like to throw the ball very far, and his arm doesn't necessarily support that. You should have a higher completion percentage if you're only throwing the ball four or five yards away from you. Taylor Heineke, that was a little bit of a surprise because Heineke came in and had the reputation of a, a bit of a gunslinger. He was the one that liked to, to spread the ball around. But when I remember what that Seattle team looked like last season, I understand what you're saying, that that is not an excuse that Russ should be able to do better, especially if he has DK Metcalf and he has, what's the other one? It was Tyler Lockett. Tyler Metcalf Lockett. and Lockett, yeah. So you, so you have those <clears throat> two, but he didn't have anything else. And that's why when I look at what he's working with, no, I think that he should be better. He has to be better than what he has shown us thus far. And, and, and I completely agree. 
I can I completely agree, but I I was just adding in that to me there is some cause for concern here. No, definitely, absolutely, yeah. and I'm sure that you're going to talk about that cause for concern in the next point. <laughs> but welcome, dear. Glad to have you. He said the Eagles man has just landed. Yes, welcome, 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 Sir Eagle. Uh, yes. Yeah, so to move on to this next point, um, speaking of high, let me stay in the mile high, but this time I'll address the head coach. So. Nathaniel Hackett is in his first season as a head coach in the NFL after coming over from Green Bay as an OC. Um, But as an offensive mind, he has not been able to create any kind of spark in Denver's offense, which just looks completely inept, right? So is it an overreaction to say that Nathaniel can't hack it in this league? (laughs) So, see, no, the way you have that worded, right? Is going to give me a cause for pause because there are coaches <laughs> that have struggled in their first go around that improved over time. And there are coaches who struggled badly in their first go around that have been given an opportunity to do it again. And I'm thinking of Kirk's favorite coach, Josh McDaniels, as probably the poster boy for that particular scenario. So to say he can't hack it in the league at all, ever, maybe that's an overreaction. To say that he can't hack it right now is definitely not an overreaction in the slightest. Hackett is well out of his depth as a head coach. And you know what? It's okay. It's all right. Sometimes you need to take a shot and be mad enough to admit that you were not the right one for this opportunity. Hackett has had to hire someone to help him with game management, AJ. He has play calling duties for Denver and they have a bottom three offense in the league. Some pundits have remarked on how difficult it is to manage the game as a head coach while trying to play call for the offense. I mean, hint, hint. Even Andy Reid has had his issues with that in the past. Hackett has struggled mightily as head coach. And the Broncos have struggled on offense, which is supposed to be his forte, as you said. Since Rule is gone, Hackett is the new bang favorite to be fired. It is only a matter of time. Is it? Hell no, to say no overreaction. It's an underreaction. Listen, I can't. You can dress it up as nice as you want, right? This man is terrible. And and you I mean to, to be to be very civil about it. You said uh, let me let me let me use yeah <laughs> let me use your phrase. He's out of his depth. He's completely out of his depth. He can't understand clock management. So as you as you mentioned, he had to hire someone to do it for him. Okay, so there's less things to deal with. But but <laughs> this is the your head coach hired someone to do that, right? Cool. But he can he's an offensive man and he can't make the correct calls offensively. This man doesn't. So what exactly as a head coach is he doing? What exactly is he? The, the, the man has exactly that 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 is you and that's that's why I'm saying this. He, he the man has had he has very few jobs and, and I feel like he can't do any of them with enough common sense for someone who's in his position. He is well out of his depth, Ken. And know that Matt is gone. He is far and away the worst coach in the NFL. Uh, no, no, you mentioned that there are coaches who have had bad, like, 
um, first stints, like the first season that have been really bad. I, I don't know if I recall a coach being so inept at just being a head coach. Like, obviously, there are projects that need working on and, you know, like things take time. And I get that. This is not just results-based, though. It is what exactly does Hackett offer as a head coach? He cannot do anything correct. What exactly is he offering? I, I don't think this man is ready. I, I, I know questions are arising as to whether he was actually the offensive coordinator or if he was like a governor general just sitting in while Aaron Rodgers was calling his own plays. So I, I, I have no faith in the guy, but you know what? I, I, I kind of predicted that the Broncos were going to be the worst team in this division. So I am upset. I'm not upset. Yeah, that, they're making me look really, really foolish. With my preseason pick because I was saying that they were that the Raiders were going to be the worst team in the division by the now you um, had them Vincent, third, right? You had Denver third, I had okay. Denver third, but with some yeah. losses, I'm still correct at this point because yeah, the Raiders yeah, are one and four, and the but, Broncos are two and three, correct? But by record, yeah, but yeah. our balance of play yeah. is not, not close. close. And as Kirk said, forget Hackershack is now Hack a Denver. <laughs> Ah, hard luck, hard luck in your hometown. Anyhow, uh, let's talk about a couple of contentious calls over the weekend. Starting off in Raymond James Stadium, where one of the most egregious roughing the passer calls that we've seen in years by Grady Jarrett on Tom Brady allowed the Bucks to have a fresh set of downs, which they eventually turned into a dub. <laughs> I have my wife here next to me just making a bunch of noise. So, Ken, <laughs> are the people who are saying that the refs cost Atlanta the game overreacting? So, I might get a little ranty here for a second, right? So, oh, by all means, by all means. This is the sort of nonsense, right? That has happened with your guy all the time. All the time. You had to know that this is where it was going to start. Because, you remember the top crew? How we got a whole rule change because... We don't know for sure if Brady was trying to pass the ball or if he was just trying to put it back in. But apparently the fumble was not a fumble. So, you know, we we we, we were forced to let that one go. But this one, on the other hand, I sympathize with Grady Jack and I, I sympathize with all of the NFL defensive players today and every day going forward. The NFL has made the decision that the fans want points they do not want defensive stalemates so they do whatever they can to give the um give the offense every leg up possible and as a result we are not even able we, we can't hit quarterbacks high i have no problem with that because you don't want to be over here concussing people you can't hit quarterbacks low. Another rule change that came in after Brady got his knee blown out. Um, I don't even remember who it was that took him out. I think I that remember either. In 2012 or 2011, when then Mark Castle had to then quarterback your team to an 11 and 5 mm-hmm. record. Mm-hmm. So you can't hit her, you can't hit low. So apparently you can't hit in the middle either because that is exactly where Grady Jarrett was. His hands were wrapped around top Brady's waist. And two of them went to the ground where apparently, I guess, simulating a roller coaster where you're, you're tossed from one side to the other, that is enough to warrant a penalty. Even the ref 
Jerome Boger, he then comes out and says that Brady was forcibly brought to the ground. But by the speed of the players moving and the way how they were falling, I don't see that as being forcibly driven to the ground, especially as the way how the rule has been put in place right now. So that was that. And I would have I would have said that that was the worst roughing the passer call I had ever seen until I saw the one last night when uh, Chandler Jones, is, is it Chandler Jones? Chris, it was Chris Jones. Chris, Chris, Jones, Chris on, Jones on, yeah, on Derek Carr. Chris Jones comes from behind, tackles Derek Carr, hits his arm, catches the ball before it hits the ground, yeah. puts down one arm on the ground, to defend, but you can say to not drop all of his weight onto Carr. And the ref still still throws a flag. At this point in time, to go back to the question that you asked, because I just, <laughs> I, I, I just ranted away. No, I do your thing. So do thing. To, to, ask, to answer the question that you asked, I would say that this is still an overreaction because the Falcons, they still aren't good. So if they get that stop, even with the momentum that they may have had at that time, no... the fact that you went, I, I, you you went on this epic rant to come back around it. The Falcons ain't a good. <laughs> Sorry, man. Continue. Right, but even with all of the momentum in the world, there's no guarantee that they're going to get the score again and win the game. So when. In relation to that particular uh, game scenario, it is difficult to say that Atlanta is going to win the game from there because Atlanta is not Buffalo, Atlanta is not Kansas City, Atlanta are just Atlanta. Atlanta is Atlanta. Mm. So from that perspective, I can't say that they, that they, they necessarily got robbed from winning the game, but I would really like to know what it is that your boy seems to have over the refs and the league office that these kinds of foolish calls tend to happen for him. And I guess then we had to make up for it last night as well. Let me start off by saying, First of all, bravo. That was, um, oh, what's happening? Oh, okay. thought it was frozen for a little bit. Um, you were me... sticking a little bit, but I think you're back now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I was just saying that I, I, I let me start off by saying that I, I, I do agree with you though. It, and I even put it in the lead into the question, right? It, it was a terrible call. Like, Tom Brady fan or not, that was a terrible call. I even, even myself looking at that, I was, I was uh, very confused as to as to why they would call that. Uh, and the referees, the referees, they, 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 Jerome Booker was like, "All right, I'm gonna give you a terrible uh, um, rough in the passer call." And then who, who was it? I don't even know who the crew was last time, but they were like, "Here, hold my beer." I, <laughs> to have two of these calls in the same weekend is that is, boy. <laughs> The NFL is something special, yeah? Anyhow, despite all of that, 
I still think it's an overreaction. And you mentioned some of the points, so I'll just state briefly why I agree with you. The fact is that the Falcons still needed to score a touchdown to go ahead. And it wasn't just that they had to get into field goal territory. Now, I know they've, they've, they had been really good on the previous drives, and, and they were able to get into the end zone and tighten up the game, right? And to his credit, you know that Marcus Mariota actually had a – he not had, but he has a really good record of fourth-quarter come, comebacks. I had the, the stats somewhere there, and I seem to have lost it. But he had quite a number of them in Tennessee. And then he even has won this season for the Falcons against the Browns, right? In terms of like fourth quarter comebacks and game winning drives, it's actually a very high number considering the fact that he's like had to bounce around from the team he's drafted to then being a backup, you know. Um, but it's still not a foregone conclusion in this case that he would have gotten them into the end zone one more time. It's, 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 we can't assume that he it would have found out. I'm really just challenging the narrative here that the refs cost Atlanta the game because of that play. I don't think that they cost they cost them the opportunity to be able to go for that win, but it didn't actually cost them the game. I, that's that. I just I, I feel like I hear this time and time again when there's a bad call in a game. Bad calls always happen. They they, sh- they shouldn't happen as much as they do, but they do. At the end of the day. I, I'm not blaming a call on a team who's in the game. They, it, the, the referees take away the opportunity for a team to be able to get back into the game. But with regards to actually them being the, the, the main catalyst behind the team losing, nah, I ain't subscribing to that one. But for me, it all depends on, on what the fault is or isn't, when it is called or is not called, and then the impact on the state of the game at that time. So, because it is the Falcons, we will always give them this caveat. Because, again, the Falcons are the Falcons. But, at the same time, if it was... Let's say we had a similar kind of call in the playoff game between the Bills and the Chiefs last season. When it was literally a trap meet up and down the field. Then, a bad call in that instance could be what causes you to lose the game because obviously the defenses aren't stopping anybody. So if the refs stop them, then that's a problem. But in this particular instance, someone made the, I think, I don't remember who it was that made the statement, but they said that right now we are, what we are seeing is a gross overcorrection with regards to protecting quarterbacks because of what happened to Tua. And we, you know, the NFL and the NFLPA, they've agreed on an amendment to the concussion protocol. We don't have time to get to that today. We will probably touch on that next week. But, yeah, I think all of that is coming into play in these situations. Yeah, I take that point. Like I said, my only my only issue with it, I was just challenging the narrative. I, I, I think that refs prevent opportunities. They don't necessarily cause a team to lose or whatnot or what have you. But let's quickly shimmy away from that. Let's leave the south and go out west. Another team that narrowly escaped, and I mean that in both a literal and figurative sense. The Chargers held on to beat the Browns after an extremely risky call to go for a fourth and two inside their own territory and clutching on to only a two-point lead. Ken, are you one of those that believes that Steely made a huge error in judgment in that call to go for it, or do you think that that is an overreaction? Boy, that, that is not <laughs> an overreaction. 
Brandon Staley seems to try to invent ways to lose games every week. And the Chargers almost charged it again. Honestly, AJ and Staley, the Chargers are bottom merchants. Unable to win close ones. And even though they won this game, they almost did it again. This is the second week in a row where we have a coach trying to lie to our face and saying, I trust my defense to pull my fat out of the fire after I've thrown it not even in the fire pan but directly on the flames. Hmm. Can you tell me, if you trust your defense, why don't you give them as much of the field as possible to defend? Why are you going to try to give the opposition a short field? You're up two points. And therefore, you go at it, go for a fourth down and two. They get one first down. And theoretically, they're already in field goal range and can just kick a field goal and win the game. Do you think that you have the 85 beers? That you can stop them from getting a single inch on the field? When they've already scored 28 points? Come on, Brandon. Come on. See, he is one of those coaches, right? That because of his risk-taking, his constant risk-taking, he is going to coach himself out of a job. He is not on the, the level of a rule and a hack it who just can't hack it. He actually seems to be a decent coach, but he probably needs to hire an advisor to help get him out of his own way. All right. So there's part of what you said that I agree with. And and let me start off by saying this. I do not trust Brandon Staley. Um, you know that Justin Herbert is my guy, right? Mm-hmm been singing his praises. I don't trust Staley. I do not think that he's the head coach to get the Chargers where they're trying to to where they're trying to get um, with Jay Herb under center and with the roster that they've been compiling over the last few seasons. Staley does a lot wrong. Now, week 18 last season against the Raiders, that like that's not going to leave my mind anytime soon, right? Sure. However, this is one thing I actually do not blame Staley for. And I, I actually think that this is a huge overreaction. I'll tell you why. I don't think he got this wrong. Do, do you know, Ken, and I'm pretty sure you already know this, but I'm going to reiterate for anyone that's still here and listening. Justin Herbert has been the best fourth down quarterback in the league since he started a game in the NFL. The best. In that same Raiders game last season, he converted multiple, and it was, it was at least... It was at least five or six fourth downs in that game. One of those was from his own 12-yard line, right? And granted, they were in a – it was a do-or-die situation. They were down at that point when he – the one from their 12. But the fact of the matter is one thing that, that – this is one thing that Steely's always done, and that's put trust in his quarterback on fourth down. It might be unconventional to the masses, but it's what the Chargers do. It's the understanding that Staley and Jay Herb have – and, and usually, like, Justin Herbert would deliver. That, that's the thing. He didn't in this case, but I, I, can't, I cannot look back at it in hindsight and say, well, I blame Staley for oper- operating under the usual MO. Even if they lost, it's kind of like, honestly, I, have to, I would have to say, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, basically. And I know you mentioned him saying that he has trust in his defense. 
he has more trust in Justin Herbert. Again, live by the sword, die by the sword. Justin Herbert is playing with back fractures, AJ, that he did not have last <laughs> season. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. That's so much trust. That's so much trust. If you have the if you have the best fourth down quarterback in the entire NFL for the last two seasons and and a little bit, I can't say a blame because they were they were just past they were just past the middle of the field, just past midfield. It's not like they were deep in their territory this time. And and I understand it still presented an opportunity if they didn't convert for Cleveland to get into field goal territory. But that's how much faith he has in Justin Herbert. And to be fair, right, looking at that player, I don't blame Steely. I, I, I think Justin Herbert had to do a little bit better on that. that that's all. AJ, if you're at the 48-yard line, kick the punt and pin them inside the five. Make them drive the length of the field when the clock is on your side and the defense that you believe can stop them has the entire field to defend. Do not put your defense, do not put your team under that much pressure, especially when you're doing your best to keep up with Kansas City. You're not playing in the AFC South. Because I can't even talk about the NFC East. The NFC East right now, they're ruling the roost in the NFL. You're not playing the AFC South. You're playing in the AFC West. And you need to keep pace with Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. Put your team in the best possible position to win, which is not putting your quarterback with back fractures to have to try to find a conversion on fourth down and two. You know, I, you know what I should have looked for? What their fourth down conversion record is this season. Ken, it's just what they do. I, I, don't, I understand there are new mitigating factors surrounding Justin Herbert's situation. As you mentioned, his back fractures. However, I still can't blame. This is what they do. You, he, he might have faith in the defense, but he has faith in Justin Herbert even more than that. I, 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 I don't blame him. I don't blame him. We will have to agree to disagree with that one, my friend. As, As per usual. <laughs> As per usual. So, at this point, everyone, we thank you for being with us. We have seen um, better viewer numbers in this episode than we've had um, when we were at the late night hour. And we encourage you to join us every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We enjoy interacting with you as always and as i have always told you for those who are listening to us the audio only podcast will be available right after the show as soon as we're done here i'll get that uploaded so we do encourage you to join us wherever you wherever you will find us if you can't find us that means you're not looking because i have put us everywhere so as always that is aj he is the green I am Ken, I am the Beige, and we will see you next time.